the SEAL teams, there was a, a man by the name of Michael Mansour, right, uh, who Mike is Mansour, a SEAL. He's right. on a rooftop in Ramadi, yeah. and he's providing cover and protection for guys that are out in the road. When from an unknown location, a, an insurgent runs up to that roof, throws a hand grenade on the roof, and it hits him in the chest, falls to the dark. And if you can imagine, he had an exit just a step away. So that grenade mm -hmm. is not his problem. Like guys have gone back and looked at the situation. He could have saved himself. But the rub was that there's other seals on the roof with them and they didn't have time to get up and make it past right. his grenade to the exit. And so Mikey, in a split second selfless act, he yells out to these guys, grenade, as he throws himself on top of it. And he absorbed the blast of that grenade, all that shrapnel, that metal upon himself, suffered and died. But because yeah. of what he did, all the other guys on the roof, they all lived. So I'd right. say you can mark these words down in history. Greater right. love has no one than this, one that That's lays right. out his life for his friends. Hey guys, welcome back to the Everyman Livestream community. I'm Jeremy and I'll be your host. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but around the world, masculinity is under attack because there are men who have been given responsibility, power, and influence, and they've used it selfishly, causing others to suffer versus using their strength to serve others. Now it's against this dark backdrop in culture that Jesus is calling for a new movement of men to rise, men who know how to go against the culture and their impulses that cause suffering and choose to serve others instead. Now, what we want you to know here at Everyman is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter where you live in the world or what your specific situation is, that new and different kind of man is you. God wants sons who think, live, and act like his son. And his son said this, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And we're going to find out what that means from God's word in just a minute. But before we get started, share this live stream with someone and ask them to join you. Now, let's join men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck, live from Crossline Community Church in Laguna Hills, California, for part four of Do It Anyways. Good morning, men. If you have a Bible, you want to open it up to Matthew chapter 20 and hold a spot in Philippians chapter 2. Let me set this down. We are continuing our series called Do It Anyways, and what we've been saying is that we live in a culture where feelings are directional, okay? Who am I? Well, what do you feel, all right? What should I do? What do your feelings say? How should I relate to God and others? Well, what do your feelings say about that? What's the right action to take at any given moment? If it feels right, do that. So here's the problem to listening to my feelings when trying to discern truth or make good decisions. All right, 99 times out of 100, my feelings will direct me to do three things. Self-serve, self-protect, and self-gratify. Can I get a witness? When you listen to your feelings, they already are bent toward uh, preserving either what you have or serving yourself or gratifying yourself at the expense of, many times, um, your relationship with God or your concern for others. And that's the exact tension we're dealing with in uh, this series, we're learning really how to say no to feelings, to say yes to God and people. And in part one, what we learned was is that a life of faith is, uh, is, is a life of going against. You know, you have to go against feelings. You have to go against culture. You have to go against fear. You have to go against the popular opinion to do the things that God calls you to do. In part two, we talked about uh, the first part of that struggle, which is believing God anyways, in spite of how you feel. And then in part three, we talked about loving people 
sacrificially, unconditionally, courageously, in spite of how you feel. And in part four, we're going to take on the next theme. But I want to start with a question. Uh, How many of you would agree that it's easier to be served than to serve someone else? Okay, so we're all kind of nodding our heads in the room. You're probably nodding your head out there if you're watching online. Well, the the fact is, of course it is. Of course it's easier to be served than to serve someone else because someone else is giving up their time and energy. They're giving up their time and energy, and your only job is to take up what they're giving up, right? And Jesus, uh, as a theme, talked about this a lot with guys who wanted to follow him. So we are going to do the same thing. Uh, This conversation is seen in Matthew chapter 20, so if you have your Bible, you can take that out. If you're in the room, uh, look at your notes. And Jesus is offering, uh, just by context, a compare and contrast. Listen and see if you can pick it up, right? You know, he's talking to the guys, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Let's finish it together. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that every man listening to his voice has an it factor. That's why I kind of emphasize the word it on the top line there, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Well, what's the it factor? Well, that's your influence. That's your influence that God gives you. And God gives us influence culturally. God gives us influence professionally. God gives us influence uh, materially. You know what the thing is in today's culture about men having strength and influence? People are afraid you're going to abuse it. In fact, there's, there's international movements, and there's marches, and there's activism, and uh, the conclusion, and there's labels, right? And the conclusion is masculinity is toxic, that somehow if you give a man strength, influence, power, because of all the bad choices over time in history that men appear to make as a pattern of being male, Culture out there has made a unilateral decision that being strong is, is scary if you give strength and influence to men. So Jesus is addressing the same exact issue. He's contrasting broken male culture and what it does with power and influence with how he wants them to use their power and influence. So every man has an it factor. You're an influencer whether you like it or not. Okay, and a lot of, a lot of people just say, "Well, I'm not a big influencer. You know, I'm not a big leader. I, I don't I don't affect others a whole lot." Well, if you're making choices and there are people involved in your life, you're an influencer. Okay. Secondly, what we see in Jesus' compare and contrast is culture's vision of greatness for men. Right. And what does that look like? Well, write this down: to elevate self. Right. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So you see this language of position, all right? High officials getting in positions of power, 
where they're over others, and so they get their position and influence over others, and then they use their position and influence to control other people. Now, Christ's vision of greatness is also articulated in this passage, which is not elevate self, but elevate who? Others. Right. That's his vision of greatness for you if you're a follower. And he's kind of dialing them in and going, hey, you know what? I know you've soaked in this system for a long time, and I know that you've been trained up in this system for a long time, but guess what? There's a new system of thinking about greatness and it's not about elevating yourself. It's not about getting strength so that you can tr- control others. It's about elevating others. That's why you might want to circle if you're taking notes. Not so with you. And I just want to make that prophetic declaration over you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a broken male way of thinking that elevates self, that serves self. All right? And then there's a spirit-empowered way of thinking. And that's to elevate others. And you're, you're, you're called not to be like the, the, the ungodly or uh, the non-follower of Christ. You're, you're called to be a servant. Now, what's also really evident in this, and is that actually the context of this, is that there's a truth in here about you and me, and it's this. All men were created with a desire for significance. Write that down. The truth about me is that I was created with a desire for significance. Or you could say I was created with a desire to be great and do great things. And if you don't believe that, then just go look at the stock profile for DC Comics or Marvel Comics. Okay? And just look how much money they're raking in making movies and and selling paraphernalia related to men who stick it to the bad guy who have special power, who deliver justice, and who defend the defenseless, okay? Why do we so engage that ethos? It's because God created you for that. That's why. There's something in you that's put there and wired, hardwired into you by God to want to be great and to do great things, so we're created with a desire of significance. The question for me and for you is how will I satisfy it? How am I going to satisfy that desire for greatness? Am I going to satisfy it culture's way, or am I going to satisfy it Christ's way? You see, in the build-up to making the statement there in Matthew 20, 25, right before Jesus says those words, the situation is two guys who want position in Jesus' kingdom. They want want to sit to his right and to his left. They want to be in positions of influence and power, right? And they're they're self-preserving, and they want to maintain and guard this special relationship that they have that gives them position, right? And then Jesus drops the bomb there by saying what we just read in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Now, this whole topic is a big theme in the book of Philippians, specifically Philippians chapter 2, where in the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2, it's it's talking about, hey, you know what? Consider others' interests, others' needs above your own. And then as the model and as the roadmap for that starts talking about Jesus, and that's where we pick it up in verse 6. 
Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own what? Advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, let's finish it together, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Okay, so here's the big idea when you look at that. True authority serves. True authority serves in God's economy, not in the cultural economy, not in the broken male economy or ecosystem of being great, but in God's ecosystem of greatness and following and knowing him. True authority serves. You notice the, the compare and the contrast. He said, the, the, the passage says, being in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So, you're God. That's a little influence, right? That's, that's quite a bit of strength. But how did Jesus use his influence? He used his influence to elevate me and you. To serve me and you. And, and by connection and link of following Jesus and the work of God's spirit in you to make you like him, you're not going to use your influence or your position to benefit yourself. You're going to use it to benefit other people, whether that's your position in your company or your position in your family or just your position across culture of just being a man. Because in many cultures, just being a man gives you automatic influence for, for good or for ill, okay? So the big idea here is true authority. Jesus had true authority. He said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority. But what did he do with his authority? Taking the very nature of a servant. He serves us all the way to the cross. Why? To elevate, redeem save and transform you and me okay that's our template all right that's the compare contrast so the big idea is true authority serves now what is the outcome of having influence but using your influence all that you have all that you are all that you hope to serve other people let's read the next couple of verses verses 9 and 10 of philippians chapter 2 ready Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the big idea when we look at Jesus is that true authority and influence serves other people's interests and needs. The big outcome of doing it God's way is this, position and recognition with God. Write that down. That's the big outcome. If you want position and recognition to satisfy your need that God has put in you to be great and do great things, all right, serve other people during this little window of time on earth like Jesus did, and then when you get to heaven, that's what gives us position and recognition with God. That's what God approves of. But it's not position, but here's, here's the spiritual battle, and I think all of you would agree. You know, we're, we're in a battle of, hey, do I invest for position and recognition with men now? Or do I battle and invest and send it forward 
for position and recognition with God, where I hear the words when I see Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Did you notice that? It doesn't say, well done, good and faithful church attender. Well done, good and faithful check writer. Well done, good and faithful uh, employee. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. So that gives us a clue to our greatness that Jesus is watching for by the first words out of his mouth when you finish your race. So here's some service tips, all right? Well, if, that's, if that's the call, to say no to self and to say yes to others, even when we don't feel like it, circumstantially, emotionally, psychologically, where we have to set aside fear or feelings or how, we feel, how it's going in the moment to serve other people and, and serve anyways, here's some service tips from Jesus for God's man. First one is, don't wait for someone else to serve. Write that down. Don't wait for someone else to serve. Now, Jesus just kind of took advantage of situation, situations to have teachable moments with the disciples. All right, so he's in a situation, and he sees what's going on, and he would always use those as kind of like compare-contrast. So um, he says in Luke chapter 22, he's taking advantage of kind of, sitting down at like a dinner table and people walking around and serving. All right, let's read it together. Luke 22, 27. Ready? Let's go. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus is taking a very common thing where if you're being served, you're paying to be served or you're, being in, you're in a position to, to be served. And the calculation in men's minds is, I'm sitting at the table and you're the one who's serving me, right? Which positionally, indirectly, subconsciously says, in this moment, I'm greater than you because you're serving me, right? Now, in, in, in culture today, we got people who serve us. We've got people who serve us coffee, people who serve us food, uh, people we pay to do things. And subconsciously, whether you're in retail or service, the idea is that the customer is king, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they're in this position. The customer is king is a positional statement, all right? Because we're serving them, right? And Jesus grabs that and he says, hey, guess what? I have position, but look at what I'm doing. I'm serving. I'm serving other people. So don't wait for someone else to serve. And there's that whole activity of what should I do in this situation? You don't have to think that through. What's Jesus doing? He's serving. You know? A lot of times we walk into situations and we say, should I do it or should I not do it? Should I, is this the right timing or is this not the right? It's always a good time to serve another person. And it's always a good time to tell your body that it's not in control. It's always a good time to say, hey, you know what, feelings? My faith trumps you. And I'm gonna jump into that situation, okay? You'll never lose. In fact, you'll come out the other side better, but you gotta work through the tension of it to serve another person. And it's not just, you know, making them a sandwich or serving them food. Maybe it's not saying something with your words. Maybe you serve them that way. Maybe you wait and are patient. Maybe you serve them that way. 
There's a lot of ways to serve other than physically doing a serving thing to build up and elevate another person, all right? That's first tip from Jesus. Don't wait for someone else to serve. I'm among you as someone who serves. If people were to talk about you in a general way, what's so-and-so like, all right? What would they say about you? He's always taking care of other people. Or he's always taking care of himself. What would people say about you? All right. Second tip from Jesus is don't use serving God for personal recognition. Now, this is a subtle, subconscious thing. right? Now, think about it, what we talked about. Men want to be great and they want to do great things. right? And if they listen to their feelings, they'll self-preserve, self-protect, and try to be self-important. All right? Now, here's the subtle, subconscious thing. A lot of times... In God's family, people serve other people, not for the sake of serving them and getting their needs met, but they're really serving themselves as they serve other people because they want to be visible and they want to be recognized, okay? They're using God. You know, and Jesus talks about this, about how men who in the name of God are taking all the attention away from God and putting it onto themselves. Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he's pointing out a kind of a subtle and evil dynamic that happens in the faith community. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit where? In Moses' what? Seat, right? Okay, so there's a very important person, and then they're attaching to a very important person, and they're saying, you know, Moses was great, And if I'm sitting in his seat, it's a positional thing, a title thing, all right, then I'm going to be great. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. What does that mean? I underlined it. Everything they do is done for people to what? See. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. That just means they, they dress up super fancy. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. Now, after describing that, Jesus says these words. Let's read them together. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is pointing out that a lot of times people pimp God and their position in the faith community for personal recognition. After doing 30 plus years of ministry, I've seen that happen. Where people, you know, things may not be going well at the job, things might not be going well at home, but man, I can be at church and I can check boxes and I can elevate my status emotionally where I'm actually known as a deacon or an elder or a leader. And so I'm not getting my juice here, I'm not getting my juice here, I'm not serving anybody here, but I can come here and I can use this thing called the church to gain personal recognition more visibility. I can become somebody. And really what we're doing is we're kind of using God, all right, to pad our own emotional insecurities, okay? God doesn't want you to do that, and you don't need to do that. That's a bad motive for loving God and wanting to serve God, is to take 
the glory to yourself, all right? And if you, you want to see a little vignette on this, read Acts chapter 4. Got two people named Ananias and Sapphira, okay? They see a lot of great stuff going on in the birth of the early church. They see people giving out of good hearts and good motives because there's, there's great revival going on. But their attachment to it is not so that they can participate in the kingdom of God and be blessed that way. They see it and they go, wow, people who give are acknowledged and they become more visible. So they create this kind of situation where it's like, okay, so let's give a big gift to what's going on. But it's not to encourage the advance of God's purposes. It's so that we can gain position in this new phenomenon, okay, called the early church. It doesn't work out too well for them if you read on, right? Because their motives get called out. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, calls them out. So don't use God for personal recognition. Here's, here's, here's kind of a third service tip for God's man while you're on earth. Don't consider any act of service below you. Don't consider any act of service below you. Don't wait for someone else to serve. Don't use God for personal recognition. Don't use serving God for personal recognition. Don't consider any act of service uh, below you. You know, Jesus illustrated this with such power. Now remember, he is the, the servant king. All authority. Imagine, you walked with him for three years, right? When he said, let's go to the other side, you got in the boat. And then you saw him take command over creation and calm the waves when you thought you were going to die. You got to the other side of the shore and he takes authority over evil, power, right? Then you see him take two little loaves and, you know, two fish and, and, and four loaves and multiply it and feed 5,000 people. You've seen a lot. You've seen him touch skin and it gets clean like a baby's skin. You've seen him forgive. You've seen him stand between stones and a prostitute. I mean, you've seen this guy. He's so powerful. So this is the powerful guy that you've seen. And then when you're in a small, intimate setting, you roll the film, and this is what you see. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Okay, can you imagine the tension in a room full of men when another man who has so much power gets up, disrobes, and starts cleaning the grimiest thing in the room and it's attached to your body? Ooh but he does it. And the, just the feelings, the tension that's in that room, because you know what? Nobody washes your feet. That's for, that's for the lowest of the low, low, the bacteria at the bottom of the barrel, on the scum. That's who that job is for. Not for the king of kings, not for the Lord of lords, but he does it. Then he says this, do you understand what I've done for you? Now there's even more tension. 
because they're beginning to process through the implications of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, positional things in male culture of the time, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I'm not denying that. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you, for you. Let's finish it together. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right, drop the towel. Wow. Now there is a point of decision. It's like, are you in for this ride or are you out? Because this is what this ride involves if you're a follower of Jesus. You're going to do radical things that blow people's mind. You are going to shock them. You're going to do things for other people that they never expected you to do. Why? Because the spirit of the living Christ is in you. That's what you're called to do. And you do it anyways. It's not people's worthiness. It's not what's called for because you're the man or you have the money or you have the position or you have the body part that says you should be served, right? It's the spirit of the living God that's inside of you. And man, this is, this is shocking. Question, when was the last time people were shocked by something that you did to serve them? Something so out of character. Something that just stopped the presses. When was the last time you did Or, or have you fallen into kind of a comfortable lane of, you know, this is where I'm doing life and I'm just kind of living it this way and this is how I roll and this is how I manage my schedule and this is how I manage these interactions and this is the image I want to project. See, Jesus is really moving their cheese when it comes to their vision of greatness. He goes, yeah, I am a teacher, high position in the culture. Yes, I am Lord, I am master. But now that your teacher and Lord has washed your feet, guess what? You're going to wash others' feet. You know, and it's a metaphor. You're not going to, sometimes we do wash feet. When we were in Haiti, the men's trip, it was a mind-blowing experience. We have staff at our or orphanages. We have women who work at our orphanages in Haiti. And here you got 22 guys. All the women are sitting in this room. And the men of Crossline Church wash their feet through a translator. And then we say, how can we pray for you? See, in that culture, that is unheard of. That is so against. And it, I got to tell you, it was uncomfortable for those women. But that discomfort turned to a blessing as they just felt loved by Jesus when we did that. It's powerful. But you see, that's the kind of thing that Jesus calls to. Not just service in the normal course of who you are and who you know and what's going on. 
but where you jump in and do something that people never expected you to do. Maybe God's going to call you to do something like that today. And can I encourage you? Do it. Even whatever your position, go ahead and do it. You see, and everybody look at me right now. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It's a powerful gospel message when you set yourself aside and set your position aside and, and set your worldly influence aside to serve other people. You know who learned this, 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 this lesson really well was the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of position and he had a lot of power and he had a lot of smarts. And guess what? He had a lot of religious accolades to his name. All right? Listen to this guy talk who now is a follower of Jesus. He says this, though I am free, right? Now I live for an audience of one, right? Not for an audience of men. I live for an audience of one. I know who I'm accountable to, though I'm free, right? And I belong to how many people? No one. I have made myself a slave to how many people? Everyone. To win as many as possible. I want to stop there. This is the gospel. The gospel is a king leaving heaven, coming to earth, serving humanity, me and you, dying a horrible death, serving us, becoming obedient to the point of death to elevate us. And now if you're a follower of Jesus, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's what the Bible says. If you're in Christ, guess what? You got a seat waiting for you. It's an awesome thing. Amen? Amen. So Paul, understanding this whole call of God on his life, it's just like, wow, it used to be about this, and now I'm, I'm, I know Jesus, and now I'm free. Free to do what? Everybody say free to serve. Free to serve. Now, now I'm under a new authority, and that authority that I've been given is I've been given the authority to say no to myself and no to um, my needs and to say yes to others and say yes, that's my new authority. So now I'm, I belong to no one. Jesus is my master. And because he's my master, now I belong to everyone. Big, big point. So Paul fleshes it out. He says to the Jews, I became like a Jew. What's the purpose? to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, non-Jews, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Let's finish it together. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Why do we serve anyways? To win people to Jesus. To elevate them just like God elevated us when he came and served us. The best way that you can reproduce the gospel in a resonating way is to come from your position into life with other people, whatever their context is, and serve them. 
with your time, with your energy, with your money, whatever it is, come into it and serve them. It's the most powerful gospel message. So let's just now dial it way in here and talk about what your identity in Christ means, right? First thing it means is I belong to all men because I belong to Jesus. Write that down. I belong to all men because I belong to Jesus. Instead of what? Like the Pharisees did it. Those religious guys who wanted to draw the attention of the men, there was so much distance, they belonged to their little special huddle. They didn't belong to all people. They belonged to this little special group of little special guys who talked about little special spiritual things, and they act really specially. Jesus didn't do that. So that's the first implication. My identity in Christ means I belong to all men, all right? By the way, that's generic men, like, I belong to all people, women, children, women and children, my neighbor, the people I influence, the people I coach, the people who work below me, the people who work above me. I belong to all men because I belong to Jesus. The second implication is there are no borders to my service. Some people like to serve here at church. That's a great thing. Serve your wife at home so that it puts your service at church into the proper context. You know, one of the confusing things sometimes for spouses of men who are Christian is that they serve at church like there is no other. But they're at home, they don't serve their own wife. That's that's confusing, by the way. And it lacks integrity. How about your first circle? Serve your first circle. Can we say that together? Serve your first circle. Go the first mile before you go to the second mile, all right? There are no borders to my service. No borders relationally, no borders publicly, no borders privately. Doesn't matter if I'm in my community or if I'm in another country. It doesn't matter where I am. I have an identity that tells me who I am, and when I know who I am, I know what to do. I serve people. Third, My identity in Christ means my service secures a victory for someone else. See, all this relates to the gospel, right? Jesus came to all people, the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to serve them all the way to his death, right? There are no borders to my service. Jesus left the borders of heaven to enter the the domain of earth. One's definitely better than the other to serve us, all right? Jesus, when I say my service secures a victory for someone else, by becoming a servant, Jesus secured my victory. Heaven, right? Romans 8, 37 says we are more than what? conquerors through him who loved us. We can't read that unless someone secured our victory. I'm a conqueror, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. He served me all the way. And that's really what we want. We want a victory for someone else. You want to win them a victory. Maybe it's a a, a victory of dignity. Maybe it's a, a victory of need. Maybe it's a victory of worth. Maybe it's a a victory of just validation. 
But whatever victory you can secure by setting yourself aside and considering their needs more important than your own, you are communicating the essence of the gospel message because Jesus came and served you. So this is a powerful thing, guys. I'll tell you, a a world is waiting for the six to seven hundred million men who claim to follow Jesus, to serve anyways, like Jesus did. Let's bow our heads and ask God to fill us with his spirit so we can do that. Father, as individual men, Lord, thank you that that you, you created us for greatness. And that greatness is in the image and form and model and message of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that the highest vision and noblest goal one of your followers can have is to be known for serving other people. Not for recognition, not to get position, but because it's like you. And when people see you in us, they begin to think about you. And they begin to think about what you did. And our service points to you, not to ourselves. So God, help us to to not wait. Jesus, you are among us as one who serves. Help us to be among people, any situation, as one who serves. Lord, thank you so much that not only do we have to not wait to serve, but Lord, there's no act of service that's below us. Lord, I pray that today you'd give me an opportunity, give every man in this room an opportunity to serve, not to be recognized, but because that's the gospel, that's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen without you, because we go with our feelings, we go with our fears, we go with opinion, we go with our needs. We need you to break the cycles that we're in of just the comfort levels that we're in so that we can get into that kingdom dimension of shocking service. Ones that'll be a a fragrant aroma that would reflect Christ, Lord, because what you did on the cross was shocking because you didn't have to do it, but you did it anyways. And we have become more than conquerors through you who loved us. Thank you, Jesus, for securing our victory and elevating us to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.